From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm your host, Amanda Icone. This week, we're talking about RPA, that's short for Robotics Process Automation. We hear chief accounting officers, even audit firm leaders, toss around terms like automation and RPA and emerging technology, but they don't always give a lot of details about what they are using those tools for and to what extent. Frontline accountants may already be using some type of automation in their daily work, or maybe they would love to have a bot on their team. Others may be a bit fearful that automation is going to erase their jobs. So we turn to L'Oreal Giles for help demystifying RPA. Today, she's vice president for research at the Institute of Management Accountants, but she previously led an RPA program overseeing both professionals and bots. To L'Oreal, RPA in particular can help take some of the tedious and repetitive work out of an accountant's day and replace it with more meaty and challenging work. Think the type of work that'll get you noticed. No computer programming skills required. We asked her about the evolving use of RPA by corporate accounting and finance teams and where this technology is headed. But first, let's start with some basics. So RPA is, as you said, robotic process automation. And it's technology that enables a robot, the the digital worker or bot, to execute processes, and that's by emulating human interaction with computer applications. And all of that happens through the user interface. So where we talk about how it's different, RPA is mimicking the clicks and the keystrokes of a human user, and it's doing that by leveraging process documentation. So what we have seen historically with traditional automation, uh, I'll make that differentiation first, with traditional automation, people within the finance or the accounting or the tax department would go to their IT function counterparts and ask them to automate something. They then take the specs or the requirements away. They start using programming languages and make modifications to the system in some regard and come back weeks or months later and say, here's a demo of what we've done. Alternatively, with Excel macros, what we see, that one brings the power into the hands of the the end user. So we as finance and accounting professionals have been able to use Excel and record the steps that we want to do in Excel. If we draw that parallel for RPA or for the bot, a bot is to all applications what macros are to Excel. So think of a glorified macro that's not limited to Excel, but can automate the clicks and the keystrokes that we perform in sequential nature based on rules and decision trees that we program. And it can do that through any application, desktop application, web-based application alike. And it also puts the power in many instances in the hands of the end user because there's not a deep a deep expertise required for programming languages. So if we think about RPA in its simplest form, it's a way to mimic the clicks and keystrokes of human users. And we're doing that through the user interface or the front end of the application that we traditionally interface with. And this spans multiple applications, right? Obviously, an Excel macro is limited to the product, the the software app, Excel. But bots can link different applications together, right? I mean, they 
it's not limited to a single application. Yes, some of the best use cases for RPA are those where you're linking multiple applications. For example, you may pull some data. You'll have the bot go and run a report in your ERP. It'll run a report in that ERP and then take the data from that report. Perhaps it will manipulate that data in some way based on what you've documented for the steps for that process. And then it might log into a regulatory website and upload that data. Uh, there may be a step in between where it wants a user to verify the results that are demonstrated there. And then it goes and uploads it into a web-based application that perhaps the government owns. So definitely powerful use cases across multiple applications. Well, so let's talk a little bit more about use cases. How are corporate accounting teams using RPA? I mean, what's what's a common use for this type of RPA? Certainly. So a lot of instances we see with invoice processing, there are some organizations that have automated end-to-end invoice processing, leveraging RPA. And in many instances, they pair that with a bit of intelligent RPA, if you will. And that's through things like optical character recognition or intelligent character recognition, OCR, some people call it, where a bot is able to use this technology to read the invoices. And after it's reading the those invoices, it's making decisions based on the, the, the decision tree that the end user has, has documented in the beginning. So wide use cases for invoice processing, payroll, accounts payable, accounts receivable, journal entries, a lot of financial close activities because they're routine in nature. Uh, encyclical in nature in many instances, cash disbursement, lots of reconciliation applications as well, account and bank reconciliations. Um, and then I'd say that's the, the most common scenarios. As you start moving up the pyramid to more complex accounting and finance transactions, you don't see as much uh, adaptability to some of the financial controlling and external reporting scenarios or the FP&A, financial planning and analysis, but there are use cases in those areas as well. So how common are these tools today? I mean, are they on every accountant's computer? Are they common across certain industries? I mean, how widespread are, are these tools today? So they are definitely not on every accountant's computer currently, although that's the aspiration of many. Um, and I'll share an interesting stat there. Um, a host of enterprises have already embarked upon their RPA journeys, and that's with significant impact in many instances to shared services departments um, or, or I'd say a decisive shift away from business process outsourcing to automation first. Deloitte conducted a study, though, on RPA, and they got responses from maybe 400 organizations globally. 53% of those respondents had already begun their RPA journeys, and 19% planned to begin within the next couple of years, but only 3% of these organizations had actually scaled their digital workforce. And scaling RPA means you've made it to 50 robots in production that are actually working and performing tasks. And I think that's an interesting stat. It's maybe about two years old or so, but it's incredibly relevant because it speaks to how much, I'd say, applicability there is of the technology, but how low the widespread adoption rates are. I think over the past year and a half, there's been a sharp increase in the number of organizations that have begun to adopt RPA or that have started their RPA journeys, but we still do not see, I think we're quite a ways away from a bot on every desk, which is called democratization of RPA. Um, and then you, you see many instances where people are seeking 
enterprise-wide implementation, and those just take much more time. 50 bots, that sounds like a lot of um, different processes that can be automated. Um, do, do, you, do we know anything about those 3% of respondents that say that they have reached that point? Most of them are larger enterprises. Um, and I'd, I'd emphasize that because one, larger enterprises often have more resources to be able to pull something like this off at the, 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 at the scale and the magnitude where you're going all the way across the organization. They're usually doing deployments in multiple parts of the organization. Centralized or decentralized operating models might mean they have a center of expertise or a robotics operations center, um, or they might have multiple functions within their organization that are deploying, leading their own implementations of RPA as well. And so the smaller percentages where we have seen success in scaling the digital workforce, if you will, is predominantly in large enterprises. And it's not industry specific. So I've seen that uh, working with program leads, RPA program leads in the energy industry, a host in the financial sector as well. So before we, we move beyond scope, and I want to come back to the point you made about resources in a minute, but you know we can't not ask a question about the pandemic. Right? We're still in it. It's still here. It's reshaped so much of how we live and work. So what impact has the pandemic had on the adoption and use of these tools? I mean, you just mentioned that over the last year and a half, we've had such a sharp increase in, in adoption. Talk about what's driving that um, that that change and, and what impact the pandemic has had on that acceleration. Certainly. So I just read an article maybe a day or two ago from the CEO of UiPath, who's one of the leading RPA tools, where he talks about this exact thing. Uh, he talks about the the drivers of some of the increases that they've seen in in adoption rates for RPA. And a few things, some of what he spoke to and then some of what we've just been talking to other finance and accounting leaders about, um, I'd say in the earlier days of the pandemic, the increase was not as sharp. Uh, people thought this was temporary. Most of us, all of us, I'm convinced, thought this was temporary and, and did not recognize that it would be as, as long or lasting as it has been. And so I think once people began to realize that this was not a two or a three week thing that we were experiencing as a society, then more strategic decisions had to be made by organizations. They had to ask themselves, what, what level of agility do I need within my organization? What level of flexibility do we need within our processes? Um, and, and that changes the scope. It, one, accelerates digital transformation journeys more broadly. And a key component to many digital transformation journeys is robotic process automation or just automation in general. And so what RPA has done, I'd say over the last year and a half, has given, has created more opportunities for organizations to allow their staff to focus on more high-end activities in scenarios where staff are having to multitask more than ever, then freeing up that time is absolutely critical. There are a host of use cases. I know there's one in the airline industry where in the earlier days of the pandemic, we had a host of cancellations or people requiring uh, or requesting credits for their flights. And the volume of those credit requests um, where you're not going to be able to travel because we're not traveling anymore in the first few months or so outweighed the, the, the resources of the airlines to be able to handle that. And robotic process automation was one of the solutions for some of the leading airline providers. You make it sound so easy, L'Oreal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, front end users, um, no programming language. 
I wonder, you know, for accountants that haven't yet done so, but maybe they want to dip their toe into bot building, how do they get started? I mean, do they take a class? Do they find somebody from the IT team who can teach them? I mean, what, what advice do you have for accountants who want to learn more? Yes. So I'll start with one thing first and emphasize that it sounds easier than it is. <laughs> I think that's important to call out because when we want an enterprise-wide implementation, then there is a host of complexities that go into that. There are controls that need to be put in place to ensure we're not compromising the control environment to ensure that we're not running the risk of having financial misstatements or anything of that sort. And so there are are lots of things that go into an enterprise-wide initiative from an RPA perspective. The caveat there, though, is if you want to just understand more about RPA, if you want to get your feet wet either with the automation side or with that what's more common, uh, the business analyst role. And so if we think about the BA role in an RPA implementation, that's someone who is likely a subject matter expert and has some experience with the processes that are being automated. And in that scenario, you don't have to know how to program the bots, how to to document the processes in that manner within the software, but you need to be an expert on the process. And accountants and financial professionals are already experts on accounting and finance processes. And so I'd say the first piece is just understand what RPA can do, understand how to assess a business case for an automation opportunity. You mentioned governance, controls. It's important. Important to note that this isn't necessarily replacing controls, but it has to live within that control framework, right? I mean, I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about that in, in the governance piece too here. I mean, th- these are really important factors when we're talking about financial information, financial accounting information, tax information. T- talk a little bit more about controls and governance. Definitely. So one thing that I like to emphasize is the single most important prerequisite to a successful RPA program is governance. Uh, An RPA team can have a multi-million dollar budget and the best developers on the globe, but without governance, failure is the most likely scenario. So that's where we talk about people underestimating what's required in, in, in these RPA implementations. And so we think about, one, the purpose of governance is just to mitigate risks at the end of the day. And there have been a few key risk areas identified, operational, financial, regulatory, organizational, and technology risks all exist within the RPA implementation. And what we think about prerequisites to uh, even establishing that governance is first identifying who the key stakeholders are and proactively seeking their input. Things like determining the RPA operating model. Will you have a centralized model with, uh, you'll have governance and implementation housed in a single team? Or will you have a decentralized model where that implementation is handled through other parts of the organization? Conducting an RPA proof of concept is important. Selecting the right RPA tool for the operating model that you've chosen. Process discovery, making sure you've identified what processes are actually good candidates for RPA. And then preparing a business case, because at the end of the day, you want to be able to demonstrate the return on investment. 
And so as we think about how to make sure the right controls in place, key components to the governance framework that you want to establish within your organization, establish governing bodies, have an organizational construct, you need a life cycle. What will your operational life cycle look like for an automation opportunity from ideation to implementation and then sustaining that? I wonder what you think is next for RPA. I mean, it sounds like you mentioned that we're kind of sort of at the beginning of the journey for many companies. Um, Where do you see this going over the next year or so? I think most large enterprises have already started their RPA journeys. So they, they may not be at scale, but they've already got something underway. So for accounting and finance professionals who are interested, especially if you're in a large or a midsize organization, ask around, ask in your IT department and find out what tool your organization is already using. Because if you want to learn more, start with the tool that you're using in your organization. I think what we'll see over the next year, two years, is continued increase in adoption of RPA. Um, and, And I think that primarily because it's such a low barrier to entry relative to some of the other components of the digital transformation journey. And particularly, um, and another interesting stat there, the overwhelming majority, and that's upwards of 80% of RPA implementations within organizations start within the finance and accounting department or within the finance function. And I think that's important to know. And it's, I'd say, strengthening the business case for why we personally as accounting and finance professionals need to just learn more about RPA, at least to start. And so I think over the next year, as we continue to recognize that we need to free up more time of those that we support, um, then we will have greater need for efficiency. And it will take work. It will take a a host of, of resources and a lot of people collaborating together to get an implementation on a larger scale done. But it can happen. And so I think we will see a a larger uptick in starting RPA journeys for organizations that have not done that yet and a a bit more maturation, if you will. So some of those reaching scale that have started a couple of years ago. This has been great. Thank you so much, L'Oreal. Thank you for having me. That was L'Oreal Giles, VP of Research and Thought Leadership for the Institute of Management Accountants. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And share your thoughts with us on Twitter. We use the handle at tax, that's at T-A-X. Talking Tax is produced by Amanda Icone and David Schultz. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor. Thanks for listening to this week's episode From Washington, I'm Amanda Icone. My name is David Schultz, and I'm here to announce On the Merits, a new podcast from Bloomberg Law that brings you everything you need to know about the biggest legal stories of the week, coupled with smart interviews and analysis on a variety of topics, such as the incoming Biden administration's judicial priorities. So I think diversity is is kind of the watchword here. We'll also keep our eyes on the Supreme Court. Now everyone is on Breyer watch. We're all watching to see when or if Justice Breyer is going to step down. You'll hear voices and perspectives from across the legal industry, including reporters and editors, attorneys, legal scholars, general counsel. But lest you think this podcast is all just news you can use, from time to time we stumble on a court docket or legal opinion that, for whatever reason, just piques our interest. And he started this opinion, 224th of it, citing the Passchendaele battle 
is one of the largest battles of World War I. Um, that seems like a strange way to start off an opinion on corporate law. You can download On the Merits wherever you get your podcasts.